1 Thessalonians in your Bible, chapter number 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and the subject today is two Thanksgiving heroes. I preached on Thanksgiving last Sunday. Normally, I only preach on it one Sunday, but I just felt led to uh, emphasize it again. And uh, in my reading, I ran across a great, great Christian hero. And so I tied the two themes together today. The subject, two Thanksgiving heroes. And the text comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Stand with me, if you will, as we open God's Word and read it together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Evermore means all the time, doesn't it? How many are rejoicing today? How many are waiting until everything gets right before you rejoice? Well, you're going to wait a long time, honey. (laughs) I'll tell you that. (laughs) You better just decide to go on and rejoice like the Scripture says, right? Or you're not going to get to. Now, I know who's rejoicing today, people with orange on. And I know who's working at it is people with garnet and black on. And I'm not going to say anything more about it. I don't even acknowledge that little interruption in the life of serious South Carolinians here. But uh, at any rate, we'll proceed. Rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing and in everything, not for everything here, in everything, give thanks This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. This is God's will in Christ concerning you. And you may be seated. Great athletic teams, great businesses, Great nations and great churches all understand one thing they have in common, and that is they must have a great culture, an internal culture. And an important part of FBT culture has been, we've emphasized through the years, to have a grateful spirit to the Lord in everything that we face in life. And I've tried to constantly keep in front of this congregation that we must never take for granted God's blessings for what has been happening here for now 52 years. And so frequently I talk about that. There's 138 passages in your Bible that directly refer to thanksgiving and to gratitude. But our society doesn't recognize them for the most part. Hollywood continues to be blasphemous in its productions, and there's a TV series that uh, has a line in it where the wife gives thanks for the food, and the husband declared to her, why give thanks to God? I'm the one who worked and paid for this food, and you're the one who cooked it. So thanks for nothing, God, is his line a blasphemous, wicked, 
and short-sighted and ignorant line, I might say, because behind that man's food, and I don't watch that program. I read that account. I think that comes from The Simpsons, and I refuse to watch that. It is so blasphemous. But behind that, that man didn't recognize that behind that food was a, a retailer who put his money to risk and opened a store and worked hard to provide that food for them. And behind that retailer was a trucker who loaded up his truck and carried that food across the country and brought it to the store who could bring it to his table. And behind the trucker was a wholesaler who purchased that food and had a business that he operated. And behind that wholesaler, there was a processor who took that food from the fields and cleaned it and prepared it and packaged it to go to the wholesaler. And behind the processor was the farmer who had his farm and risked his capital and planted those seeds and worked that field and cultivated until finally one day there's a crop that he harvests and he reaps and he brings it to those who process the food. And behind that are the people who provided the fertilizer and, in some cases, the irrigation equipment and a whole host of other people. And behind all of them is Almighty God who gave us the good earth and the sun that warmed that earth and the rain that produced the moisture and the very seed that the farmer placed in the ground and then all of those elements were forgotten by this blasphemer who says, in essence, so thanks for nothing, God. And while that might be the attitude of some people, it certainly is not our attitude today. Amen? Our attitude is behind every good thing that comes, ultimately there's God. But then God gave us the elements for the farmer, for the processor, for the wholesaler, for the retailer, for the trucker, and who else have I left out of that chain of people? And so there's much to be grateful for when you sit down to your meal today, when you ate your Thanksgiving meal or you anticipate your Christmas meal. And so I'm always trying as a pastor to cultivate this spirit of thanksgiving in our people because I think it's one of the absolute most important spirits that people can have. I would hate to attend a church where people manifested an ungrateful spirit about everything. It's one of the greatest attributes and qualities that we can have. Last week, I pointed you to Romans chapter 1 where the Bible says that the first step away from God is ingratitude. And when people develop ingratitude, it's very difficult to get them to develop the other qualities of Christianity, if you will. And as I was thinking about these types of things, I ran into the story of a man who is a great Thanksgiving hero to me. His name is Nicolay Moldovano. Moldovano. Let me tell you his story. He was a close friend of our late missionary who 
we supported here for over 45 years. His name was Bill Bathman. Bill hadn't been here eight or ten years and passed away about three years ago. Bill spent his life working with the Christians, the churches behind the Iron Curtain during the days of the Iron Curtain. It was Bill Bathman that took me to Romania in 1977 and to 13 other communist countries, and I spent several weeks traveling with him. And this man, whose picture's up here, Nicolae Moldovano, was the dear friend of Bill Bathman and also the dear friend of another man that I often mention, Joseph Tan, the great Romanian theologian, who I think still may be alive, but was the outstanding preacher in Romania during the time, and one of the people responsible for the Romanian Revolution in 1989. Nicolae Moldovano was born in Romania. He became a composer and a, mis- a musician, and without access to a pen or a paper or to a musical instrument or without a Bible, this man wrote over 6,000 hymns during his lifetime. He was born in poverty in 1922. His father died when he was three years old. The only opportunity Moldovano had for education was to enlist in the military. Listen to this. He enlisted in the army when he was 12 years old because in Romania they had a special unit of the military that was called the children's, the, the army's children, the army's children. And they took destitute children, orphaned children, children who had who were living in extreme poverty as he was, and they lived on military bases, and this was the welfare system, I guess, for children. And uh, they actually served the soldiers in certain ways, sort of as uh, assistance to them and, 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 and caring for the base and so on. And while he was living on that military base as a teenage boy, it became apparent about his musical talents. And so the army began to train him, and he became a composer and a great musician. And early in his life, in his late teens and early 20s, he was exposed to a group called the Lord's Army. The Lord's Army was a, what we would call today, a parachurch organization. The Lord's Army, though, was a split off of the Romanian Orthodox Church that didn't emphasize biblical conversion and so on. And so Moldovano met those people. They emphasized being born again. They emphasized repentance. They emphasized having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, actually inviting Him into one's life. And Moldovano became a Christian. He was saved as a young man in his late teens. And he wrote to his mother, quote, I am now seeing God's hand in everything that has happened in my life, end of quote. He became a very dedicated Christian, but there was a shortage of Bibles in those days. And Romania never has been an evangelical Christian country until the 1980s and along there. And so in Romania at that time, there was 
almost no what we would call evangelical Christianity, a very formalistic, ritualistic type thing was all they had. And during World War II, he sold his daily rations of milk and bread for an entire month in order to be able to have money to buy a very cheap Bible. But in 1948, after the war, communism came to Romania. The Lord's Army group was declared illegal, and yet he continued with them, preaching on the streets, uh, in the churches, carrying on the Lord's work as best they knew how. In 1959, Moldovano was arrested. He was 37 years old. They sentenced him to 12 years in prison simply for being a Christian. The communists were ruthless in Romania. Probably it was the most brutal place on the earth for Christianity at that time. On the day of his arrest, he told his wife, who was named Lena, he said, I want you every day to look to the skies, look up to the heavens. I will look up to the heavens. It'll be the only thing that we can share while I'm gone during this next 12 years. Well, he wasn't even able to do that because when he was arrested, they took him to a jail and placed him in an underground cell for the first several months. Finally, they moved him above ground. The cell had a broken window. And in spite of the bitter winter cold, because Romania is on a, on a level with Canada, very, very cold there in the winter. And he sat in that cold cell with its broken window freezing. And yet he was now able to see the sky. And he gave thanks to God that he could see the sky and view it with his wife. In prison, they placed him in a cell with another Christian named Richard Wormbrand. You've probably heard of Richard Wormbrand. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, and he recounted in detail his sufferings there as he was locked up, I think, for over 14 years. And he became one of the most famous of the Christians that suffered under the Romanian Communist Party. When I was in Romania with Bill Bathman, we drove through Bucharest, the capital city. We went to church there on Sunday morning to hear Joseph Tan preach. And we drove by this large gray granite building, big imposing building, would remind you of a, a building like the Florence Library, only bigger than that. And Bill pointed to that building and he said, that's the jail, that's the place where the secret police take their prisoners and they torture them. Richard Wormbrand lived in that jail and was tortured for Christ. All of his writings are about his experiences there. When Wormbrand finally got out of prison, he, he founded an organization, a Christian organization called the Voice of the Martyrs. They publish magazine every quarter or so. That's how I find out, for the most part, what's happened. That's how I found out about the Iranian preacher whose heart was cut out recently through the voice of the martyrs. Richard Wormbrand and Nikolay Moldovano were in the same cell for a number of years together. 
And Richard Wormbrand said, and I quote, Moldovano was one of the greatest saints I've ever met. He literally came smiling from the torture room. Torture room. You and I don't know anything about torture rooms. But he actually came smiling from the torture room. He resisted atheist indoctrination and communist torture through music. He sung. He sung all the time. And he suffered for it. The guards figured it out. And so the guards, knowing he was a pianist, broke nearly all the bones in his hands. And when he was free, he had to completely learn, relearn to play the piano. But his goal while he was in prison, and this is why I bring this to you, his goal in prison, there's a picture of him in his pajamas in his home. And if you will notice his hands, you'll be able to tell that his hands are not normal. And yet there he is, 85 years old, playing his keyboard, and he's singing on that little video. Not very well. He's an old, old man now. You can see his shoulder that was broken. This is a hero of thanksgiving for me, Nikolay Moldovano. And his goal was to write a hymn of praise a song every single day he was in prison to write a song of praise to Almighty God. Now, here's the miracle of this man. He did that. He wrote over 6,000 songs. He was in jail for about 5,000 days. But miraculously, when he was released, he remembered the words and the music to each of his songs. And he was able to take pen and paper and write them down and score them musically as well as to uh, write the lyrics. So when he was free, he, he began to write the songs out. Now, if you were to go to church this morning at a Protestant church in Romania, listen to this. Many of the songs in the hymnal will be the hymns of Nicolae Moldovano. They had no great uh, heritage and history of Christianity in Romania at all. So they started writing their music much later than we, and Moldovano would be the most recognized hymn writer in the hymn books and writing a majority of the hymns in their books. The titles of his songs were Only Grace, Don't Doubt But Believe, all these written in prison, being tortured. Teach me to do your will. Listen to this one. Break my will, O God. And even with heavy blows, the name of the song, even with heavy blows, I will praise God. I will sing to my God. And it goes on and on. And Richard Wormbrand and other strong Christians all later testified of how Nicolay's encouragement and ministry sustained them through years of torture in those cold, freezing, horrible Romanian prisons, excruciating torture. Moldovano died in 2007. During the Romanian Revolution of 1989, he was at the Baptist Church in Timisoara where he became very influential 
in that revolution, that freedom that you saw them standing in those squares, millions of people at night, holding their candles, weaving back and forth as they sung, and they sung the songs of Moldovan O. They said it was because he had stood so fast during the entire 45 years of Romania's darkest times when he could write songs and thank and praise God while being tortured for Jesus Christ. A thanksgiving hero indeed. Would you open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11? It talks about people like Moldovano and this to me is so challenging, and we don't know our future, do we? And so we better prepare our hearts for it. Hebrews chapter 11, and I read there, God's Hall of Fame is what we call this chapter. The men and women whose names are mentioned here, we, we, we refer to them as being in God's Hall of Fame. But we go down to verse 35, and he begins to just summarize and review all these heroes of the faith. And he says, women, some women received their dead raised to life again, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They could have had deliverance if they would have denied Christ. And then in verse 36, others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds, handcuffs, and imprisonments. And verse 36, or verse 38 rather, of whom the world was not worthy. That describes to me Nicolay Moldovano. The world is not even worthy of people with that stripe of greatness. Their ability in torture and suffering to praise God, to write a song of praise to God every day you're in prison. But that led me to think of another hero, and so something for the ladies. You've heard the name Fanny Crosby open up your hymnal and let it turn a few pages, and you know what you'll find? You'll find a song written by Fanny Crosby. There's probably 40 of them in our own hymnal right there if you'd look at them carefully. And Fanny Crosby was born in New York in 1820. There's a picture of her as a young woman. She actually was a descendant of some of the people who came over on the Mayflower, but as a six-month-old baby, she developed an inflammation in her eyes, and a quack doctor prescribed a treatment that damaged the optic nerve. And so from six months on, Fanny Crosby was totally blind for the rest of her life. And that was a long life. She lived past 90 years of age. What was her attitude toward blindness? Wow. I read this and I think, what a tremendous insight. At nine years of age, Fanny wrote a little poem. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I shall be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Wouldn't you like to know somebody like that? 
with that kind of spirit of thanksgiving, a hero of the thanksgiving season. According to our biographer, Annie Willis, she said, and I quote, had it not been for her affliction, Fanny might not have had so good an education or so great an influence and certainly not so fine a memory, end of quote. She memorized five chapters of the Bible per week from age 10 to 15. By the time she was 15, she had memorized all four Gospels, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the book of Proverbs, and most of the Psalms. She became an accomplished musician. She played the piano, the organ, the harp, and the guitar, and was an outstanding soprano singer. At 15 years of age, after being homeschooled by her mother, she became a student at the New York Institution for the Blind in New York City. And she was a student there for eight years, and then after that, they kept her to teach, and she became a teacher for 15 years. She left when she was married in 1858 to a man named Alexander Alstein, who also was a blind musician and instructor. Alstein became known as one of New York's finest organists and played in two of the largest churches in New York as our organist. Fanny had not written a hymn until past age 40. And then listen to this. She wrote 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. And we still sing them. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Saved by grace. And when my life's work is ended and I cross the chilling tide, I shall know him. Song after song after song. Many more that you would recognize. I just am giving you a sample. And here she is in the middle of her days. And she became famous. She was a household word. She was invited to the White House where she sung her songs for President James Polk, his wife and the White House staff. She was the first woman to ever address the U.S. Senate. She became a tireless campaigner against the use of alcohol, speaking constantly for the Temperance Society's campaign against alcohol. And though she had become a very wealthy woman of means, Fanny chose to live in the slums of Manhattan. She lived in Hell's Kitchen, then the Bowery, and what is today called the Tenderloin District, three of the poorest areas of New York. D.L. Moody heard of her and invited her, and she became a regular singer at his meetings. She donated most of the proceeds of her songs, and they were significant, to foreign missions and orphan work in the United States. Listen to her testimony. This is from her own lips. 
It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all of my life. And I thank God for this dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have written and sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things all around me. End of quote. She thanked God for her lifetime of blindness and connected it with how God had given her these wonderful songs. Now, two heroes of the Thanksgiving season, Nicolay Monte, <laughs> that's a hard one for me, Moltenovo, who was tortured under communism, and blind Fanny Crosby, America's greatest gospel hymn writer. Both of them practiced our text. Will you look at it again in your Bible? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 18. What does it say? It says, in everything, give thanks to God. This is the will of God that we be thankful in everything, no matter what occurs in our life. And these two people practice that. Both of them, in their suffering, their affliction, their torture, their blindness, they kept their focus upon the Lord and have inspired millions of people since then through their, through their efforts. Now, let me apply the text to you for just a very brief time. Our culture today, and you recognize this, I believe, our culture is so characterized by this attitude of entitlement. Entitlement. I deserve it. We even see ads on television that tells us we deserve it. And we think that we deserve nothing but good things. And I meet people and counsel with people and talk to people who are angry with God, mad with God, because some little trivial, almost disappointment comes in their life. And they develop this spirit of bitterness and anger toward God because they feel like they didn't get what they deserved. The truth is, as sinners before a holy, righteous God, we deserve nothing. Everything that we deserve is a gift of God's grace. Amen? Do you believe that? That's foundational to the Christian life. I don't look up to God and say, God, I deserve this, and if you don't give it to me, I'm going to pout and get angry and complain with you about it. And so here are people in the greatest distresses of life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically, and yet they didn't bend to that self-pity. They didn't bend to that attitude of entitlement. And you fight that in your life as a, as a person with a sinful nature, nature. I need to fight that because that attitude fuels a spirit of covetousness, a spirit of ingratitude, a spirit of taking for granted the good things that God does for us. And it's so displeasing to the Lord the Lord Jesus came and went to the cross for me, lived a life of poverty, and never once did he complain. And he was God. 
If anybody deserved and was entitled to be treated well, it was him, was it not? But you don't hear a word of complaint from his lips, not even when they're nailing him to the cross. Martin Luther wrote, quote, we exhibit a degree of thankfulness in life, listen, in reverse proportion to the amount of blessing that we've received. In other words, generally speaking, the more we're blessed, the less we're thankful for it. The more we have, the less we are grateful for the good things of God. You see, we just get used to it. We don't mean to be ungrateful, but I mean, how much can you, how, how often can you receive and, 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 it, and not get used to it, not, it not become commonplace? A hungry man's more thankful for a morsel of bread than a rich man with his heavily laden table. A person on a bed of sickness appreciates their health more than one who has been blessed with robust health throughout their lifetime. A lonely woman in a nursing home appreciates a visit more than somebody who attended a party last night. A Christian who has suffered persecution is more thankful for a cheap Bible that took him a month to give up his lunch to be able to purchase. He'd be more grateful for that cheap Bible than I am for a library with thousands of volumes. The more we have the more difficult it is to really have this spirit of gratitude. Luther recognized that. We exhibit a degree of thankfulness in life in reverse proportion to the amount of blessing we've received. You see, a thankful heart, I'll give you four things here real quick. and You may want to write them down. A thankful heart, a thankful spirit is the source of all virtue. Show me an, an ungrateful person, and I'll show you nothing else is going to be right. All the virtues of life, I believe, began with an attitude of, thank you, Lord. I am deserving of nothing, and your grace is so wonderful. And so, Lord, I thank you today. Number two, a thankful heart's a mark of character. People with real character are grateful people. And people who take for granted, like that fellow that I gave you in the opening uh, illustration that I used from the, from the movie. Thanks for nothing, God. A person like that is, in my opinion, devoid of all character. Parents, there's nothing you can do more important for your children than to teach them just to say thank you the common things of life. If they're grabbing and receiving and people are doing things for them and giving them and they're not saying thank you, you're raising an ungrateful child. To, I, I don't think we look at that as a major problem, but it is a major problem because, you see, character flows from that. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And if I can live in that atmosphere, man, what a difference it'll make in my character. And number three, a thankful heart is the parent of maturity. It's the parent of maturity. Only an immature person, a non-thinking person, 
is never going to recognize all of the contributions that other people make to our lives. And number four, a thankful heart is the basis of humility. Humble people, grateful people recognize, look, I didn't make it all myself. The old story about you see a turtle on a fence post, there's one thing you know, he didn't get there by himself. And you know, every person with character and virtue and maturity in their life, they understand, I didn't get here by myself. Other people have contributed, mostly God, but then beyond that, my parents and my teachers and a world of other people. And we live in this constant spirit in everything, giving thanks. Unfortunately, too often our blessings are rarely appreciated until they're lost or until they're threatened. And so as I prayed a few moments ago, stop and thank God during this whole holiday season for life, for health for freedom. Think of Moldovano in that cell, can't even see the sky and share that tiny thing with his wife. Be thankful for your family. Don't take them for granted. You're not going to always have them. We've always had our family. We're not going to always have our family. Don't take them for granted. Sure, they're not perfect. Sure, they aggravate you. Sure, they irritate you. They're the only one you got. So be thankful for them. Learn to show some grace toward them. Amen? Be thankful for your church. Don't take the Baptist temple for granted. It wasn't even here 52 years ago, and it won't be here in the future if there's not a group of people with the same kindred spirit that's been continuing for those five decades. I think it was Emerson who said, because sunrises and sunsets occur every day, they're taken for granted. But if we had sunrise only once every thousand years, the whole world would stop and get up and look at it, wouldn't they? You see, because we've had it and we enjoy it and we just assume and we take things for granted so often. So the next time you find yourself wanting to complain or grumble about something in life, remember Nicolay Moldenovo. And remember Fanny Crosby and thousands of others who learned to, in everything, give thanks. No doubt about the will of God. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.